morning. Uh, we have to be ready for NPR news break in just a few minutes. Um, Commissioner Kim Overman is our guest this morning. Thank you, Commissioner Overman, for being with us this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, the guests that we have, again, the people that are waiting in line, please, 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 please hold tight. Do not, do not hang up. Hold tight until after the NPR news break because we want to um, respect your time and make sure that you are respecting other people's time as well. Make sure you go directly to your question and stay on topic, folks, please. Right here on the Sunday Forum, we want to hear from you. So call in 813-239-9663. If you're watching, if you're watching right now, please, 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 please uh, share. Share this with your friends on Facebook. This isn't something that you just like. Folks, this is something that we have to do something about. We want to hear your voice. We have to know what's going on out there, folks. If you know something, live from let NPR us know. News in Washington, I'm Louise Schiavone. Top Ukrainian leaders say all women, children, and elderly people have now been evacuated from the Azovstal steel plant in Mariupol. NPR's Joanna Kakissis reports. The UN's humanitarian mission is carrying out the evacuations and would only confirm that 50 people from Azovstal are en route to the southern Ukrainian city of Zaporizhia. At least 150 have already been evacuated. The UN says. In a late night address, President Volodymyr Zelensky said all civilians have been evacuated from Azovstal, though the UN could not confirm that. Zelensky said the next mission is to evacuate injured soldiers and medics, and eventually all remaining soldiers sheltering under the plant. The steel plant is the last part of the port city not occupied by Russian forces. Russia is expected to claim Mariupol ahead of Victory Day on Sunday which marks the defeat of the Nazis in World War II. Joanna Kikisis, NPR News, Zaporizhia, Ukraine. Britain is announcing today that it will provide an additional $1.6 billion worth of military support to Ukraine amid the Russian assault. G7 leaders are meeting virtually today to discuss further support of Ukraine. UNICEF says 6.5 million Syrian children are in need of assistance. The BBC's Sebastian Usher reports it's the highest number since the conflict began more than 10 years ago. UNICEF says the crisis in Syria is far from over. It says that Syrian children, both inside and outside the country, continue to live in fear, need and uncertainty. They're still victims of a continuing conflict too, with more than 200 killed or wounded in the first three months of this year. Despite these pressing needs, UNICEF says that humanitarian funding is fast dwindling. The agency says it's received less than half of its requirements for this year. The BBC's Sebastian Usher. Weather conditions that are being described as historic remain threatening as wildfires in the southwest continue to burn. Kevin Mershart has more from member station KSFR in Santa Fe. Extremely strong winds and high temperatures are expected in the region through at least Monday. The blaze began a month ago when a prescribed fire got out of hand due to strong winds. State Forester Laura McCarthy says trimming away more dry timber in the future instead of planned burns is a possibility, but only if it's done properly. What we need to do is use every tool, and that includes the removal of the small material, vertical now, horizontal after we thin it, and get it out into communities for firewood. FEMA has set up a website to help people requesting assistance and says services are being provided at shelters and for others without Internet access. For NPR News, I'm Kevin Mershart in Santa Fe. This is NPR. This is WMNF Tampa. In Hong Kong, a largely pro-Beijing election committee has elected John Lee to replace Carrie Lam starting in July. He was the only candidate and there are concerns about Beijing further tightening its grip on the territory. The British Academy of Film and Television Arts will announce their TV awards later today at London's Royal Festival Hall. The BAFTAs traditionally recognize British talent, but this year they've expanded the international categories from four to six. Vicki Barker reports. One winner has already been announced. The Scottish comedian and actor Billy Connolly will be presented with a Lifetime Achievement Award for his, quote, outstanding and exceptional contribution to the arts. Leading the nominations, the drama It's a Sin, which is set during the 1980s AIDS crisis, the Netflix series Sex Education is also up for a BAFTA.
Among the actors nominated are Jody Comer for Help, Kate Winslet for Mayor of Easttown, Matthew McFadden for Succession, and Emily Mortimer for The Pursuit of Love. The TV BAFTAs are taking place in person and before a live audience for the first time since 2019. For NPR News, I'm Vicki Barker in London. First Lady Jill Biden is in Slovakia today meeting with Ukrainian women who've had to flee their homes, visiting a 24-hour refugee processing center as well as a border processing facility. She said the hearts of the American people are with them. I'm Luis Schiavone, NPR News, Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Jarl and Pamela Moon. Thanking the people who make public radio great every day, and also those who listen. And the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation at MacFound.org. WMNF presents a tribute to John Fogarty and Creedence Clearwater Revival at Skipper's Smokehouse Saturday, May 28th. Creedence Clearwater Revival was the biggest band in America. In 1969 and 70, they outsold the Beatles. Now you can relive the music. 12 bands will cover 40 songs, fusing Louisiana swamp pop, blues, R&B, rockabilly, and country. CCR laid the groundwork for what we now call Americana. Fogarty's protest songs about Vietnam, class, and Nixon became the defining anthems of the anti-war movement of the 60s and 70s. WMNF's tribute to Creedence Clearwater Revival and John Fogarty at Skipper's Smokehouse, Saturday, May 28th. For tickets and more info, call 813-238-8001 or go to WMNF.org. The thrill is anything but gone. The Suncoast Blues Society will celebrate their 25th anniversary this year and WMNF is joining in the fun. Friday, May 20th, WMNF and the Suncoast Blues Society team up to bring the Jimmies to Skipper Smokehouse for this milestone event. For tickets, go to WMNF.org. The time is now to join your favorite nation, Donation Nation! This is DJ Spaceship reminding you that our summer fun drive is June 7th to the 14th. Donate weekdays at 813-238-8001 or via the tip jar at WMNF.org. Donation Nation, let's go! Hey, what's going down, family? It's your resident chef, Big Eddie G, inviting you to the Soul Kitchen. Me and my assistant chef, Mr. White Pepper Dave and Brian, serve up the best of R&B and soul music with a pinch of hip-hop and jazz and a dash of funk. So stop by Friday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Bring your appetite, because the kitchen will show enough fill you up right. Here, only on 88.5 WMNF. Well, hello. This is DJ Spaceship reminding you that every Sunday at 9 p.m., tune into the Righteous Temple of Hip Hop. Music with a message. With the Temple crew and be inspired. The Righteous Temple of Hip Hop. More than just music. It's inspiration. And that's the Righteous Temple of Hip Hop. You can catch that tonight here on WMNF. Right now, you're tuned to the Sunday Forum with Walter L. Smith II in the Fourth Estate. And we're going to take more of your telephone calls, so keep it going. 813-239-9663. That's the number to call if you want to join the discussion here on the Sunday Forum. Word up, word up. Cameo, my man Larry Blackman. Right here on WMNF 88.5 Tampa, Sarasota, St. Pete. Move but me, baby.
fly. I'm going fly. You fly with me. I'm fly. I just fly. <laughs> Yeah, where Wake is up. Larry Blackman? Man, you know, I don't know what he's doing, he's man. he's in Miami somewhere. <laughs> probably shaking it up. <laughs> he probably listening to this right now. Probably. Probably. In Tallahassee, Florida. Okay. <laughs> and they was bumping this. We were bumping this right here, boy. Yeah. This is bumping. Hey, folks, thank you very much for joining us here on the Sunday Forum. Uh, it is now 13 minutes, 13 minutes after the hour of 9 a.m. in this beautiful Sunday morning, Mother's Day morning, folks. 813-239-9663. We're going to take your calls. Our guest this morning is Miss uh, Commissioner Kim Overman. Kim Overman, are you there? I'm here. I know. I know you over there shaking it again, Commissioner. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my kind of music. <laughs> hey, listen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning here on the Sunday Forum on WMNF 88.5 Tampa. Call in, folks. Again, two three eight one three two three nine nine six six three. This is your host, the voice of the Tampa Bay area, Walter L. Smith II, along with the members of the Fourth Estate Crew, the member, my man, Mobili. Mobili, what's up, man? Good morning. All right. All right. Hey, listen. Uh, Commissioner, we have some calls on the line. Let's go directly to the calls. Don't worry. We got some more music, Commissioner. Okay? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Caller? Go ahead, Caller. You're on the Sunday Forum. Good morning, Mobili. Good morning, Walt. Hey, man. What's going on? All right. I, I, man, we missed you last weekend, yeah, brother. I missed you last week. Yeah. And I was going to call you the kind of clown, but since you have <laughs> Commissioner Kim on, on the line, may I wish you... Uh, Madam Commissioner, uh, um, a happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank you. Yeah, happy Mother's Day. And you notice, Commissioner, he's been playing all of this <laughs> this, this funk on that. <laughs> but if you're going to do that now, you got to go like, uh, what was his name? Uh, Bootsy Collins. Oh, don't worry, baby. It's coming. <laughs> you mother. Don't worry about it, baby bubble. <laughs> yeah, there you go, baby. <laughs> but, uh, Commissioner, um, my heart goes out to you. I was just wondering... Um, could you? Is it possible for you to go to the private sector to get get some help for what 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 you guys need? Is mm. that is that feasible? Oh, absolutely, and we actually do do work in partnership with the private sector. I am um, working with a lot of home builders and developers on finding ways that we can incent them in helping us on this. And we actually have we have thirty nine projects in the queue right now. Okay, where okay, we have partnered okay. with with private developers or private home builders 
to provide the assistance so that they can build mixed-income properties that look just like the full market rate properties. That's why the pushback and the NIMBY associated with housing is a, affordable housing is a problem. But we are building um, many, many units right now and that look like every other unit that you see being built all around the, the Hillsborough area that provide for some, some percentage for oh. affordable housing. Okay, okay, and, and like I said before, my heart goes out to you and much success in what you want to do, and I'm, I'm going to get off the air because I know you got a whole lot of other callers, but i got to get a little clown in, in to Walter. You probably heard <laughs> You better leave me alone, <laughs> man. He's inviting you out to the fish, fish and grits thing. you got to try the biscuits. you got to bring some biscuits to San Walter. And all all right. Oh, yeah. He's inviting... Um, Along with rattlers, you told them to wear their green to the reopening of the Walter L. Smith um, uh, a library. And I forgot what the other name you called it. Um, museum. Yes. But he's also inviting wildcats to come out there. Wildcats <laughs> wearing uh, orange and green commissioners. Did you hear that? Orange and green. I heard it. I heard it. God help him. I'm very full of grace. The Lord is with thee. But any. But any <laughs> yeah, I don't. But uh, uh, and, but what what did I what else did I, I oh yeah since this is Mother's Day what I heard in the in the barber shop brothers do not go to the cemetery pulling flowers off of graves to give to baby mama oh man don't do that man oh my don't God do don't that. do that please don't please don't do that but also what you said well you you wouldn't mind if if we pick flowers to give to our mothers. <laughs> yeah, just don't I do that. That was, yeah, I really thought that was. So, are you saying that we we could go to Miss Yolanda's house and pick some flowers? Out <laughs> you, better, you better not pull Anywhere no flowers out there. Yolanda. <laughs> you better, okay, look now. You, if you want to get cut, you can go in there and go picking. You are a true blue rattler. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. Now you know what I set myself up for that one. Really, I set myself up for that one. Kim, he's always messing with me. He's a BCU Wildcat, so you know he got to mess with me. But no, I, I really, you know, Commissioner, I, I really, really appreciate you being here. We all do, and your discussion here this morning is very robust. Uh, you know, and 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 very uh, uh, candid. I appreciate that. We all appreciate that. And we need to hear from the forum. We need to hear from the forum uh, with regard to this. That was a very good question, uh, Daryl, with regard to the private sector. Uh, Commissioner, as you know, we were there together at the uh, REACH uh, uh-huh. symposium that was taking uh-huh. place dealing with the issue of affordable housing. And when we say affordable, we mean really affordable housing, truly affordable housing, and the housing crisis uh, was something that was discussed, I believe, but not, I don't think it was discussed in a manner that it should have been, uh, if there was to be well, any well, criticism. Well, I think what came out of that that I heard was that in order to build resilient communities, mm-hmm. in order to build resiliency in our communities, we have to set standards that make sure that we're not building um, naturally occurring or uh, you know, subsidized housing or subsidized affordable housing so that certain populations can mix incomes and lives together, you know, in safe places. Like, don't build it in a floodplain. Don't build and make sure that transit's attached to those communities so people can walk and get to work, that they can afford to actually make sure they can support their family. Build into the standards that electric charging you know, stations are in our affordable housing areas so that people can reduce their energy cost of, uh, you know, towards gas. Right, um, right. They're actually using it towards public transportation. They're using it towards buying a car that is uh, energy efficient and being able to get around and looking at ways to connect communities and food, for example. We talked about coordinating with, with uh, food resiliency and sustainable plans, building uh, pl- ways that can, people can have community gardens and mm-hmm. you know, farmers markets in their communities, so that we're partnering with those individuals that are transitioning from a an area where their zip code has determined their inability to make life work 
to zip codes that actually promote health and and safety and good family communities. That it was a wonderful conference. I mean, it was. It was. It was an outstanding conference. Um, it was the resilience and energy assessment for communities and housing. And what we discovered is the direct correlation between how people get around and where they live makes mobility, economic mobility. In other words, people that that don't have anything have an opportunity to find a job. Right. Time, transportation, housing, and and employment together as a way of building communities is a critical method of addressing success in any area. And it was really nice to have consensus across all the commissioners that were there from Pinellas, Pasco, and Hillsboro, as well as Manatee, to really have a a robust conversation about it. It was good. It was an excellent conference. Absolutely. And I think think that, uh, uh, shout out to to, uh, C.J. Reynolds. Uh, mm-hmm. And the work that she has done, and, and the, those staff over there at uh, the Tampa Bay Resiliency um, uh, Planning Committee at, at the council, I, I really, really uh, appreciate the work that they've done, and the other organizations that have, have done regarding this. But one of the things that I would love to see is I'd love to see uh, people from the communities themselves that are up on that stage on that panel discussion, and so they can so they they can let people know what's happening in those communities. Uh, when we talk about implementation of the housing plans, there are some very, very mitigating circumstances. Let's face it, every community is, the communities are not monolithic. Uh, they are different culturally, economically, and so forth. Uh, some are downtrodden, others are more downtrodden than that. And so the question then becomes, how do we, how do we, uh, how do we rectify that? Right in a way where the people who are there are not pushed out, and 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 that has been one of the biggest issues that we face with regard to transforming communities. The transformation is taken as a gentrification effort that has that has ultimately really pushed people out of communities, and we are seeing that consistently, consistently. Uh, Commissioner, what what can we do differently? Well, part part of it is is. In our land design, in our land code, we could, if we had uh, <laughs> a, a plan that wanted to work it, um, mm. we could actually <laughs> set aside areas that require an allocation towards affordable housing and attach that to our transit routes. Right. I mean, right now, HART is so underfunded that mm. it has only 30 routes all around 1,000 square miles. Right. That twenty of those, or nineteen to twenty of those, are in one-hour intervals. Right. That isn't a workable solution for anybody that works. At right? all. So, in those areas where routes will be explored, assuming we actually have the ability to invest in heart, which is going to be required, if we don't get this transportation referendum passed, right. we're going to miss out on all that federal money that's out there for investing in transportation because transportation requires a local commitment to invest and actually be competitive for those grants. If we want to invest in transit, if we want to invest in sidewalks and roads and resurfacing, if we want to invest in all that, we got to have local money. Absolutely. And right now, Hillsborough County doesn't have it. And we're going to miss out if we don't invest in we our future have. by investing in transportation resources. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sorry about that. But we have, we have private people who have invested in communities but it seems as well, not it seems as though there is, it has been very clear that the money that they've invested, it, first of all, is not in partnership with anything that, that the county's doing, and it certainly is not in in in, um, in partnership with anything the city is doing. But it has mm-hmm. been in the private, literally staying in within the private sector, and not for the benefit of the people that live in those communities. And what we have seen in terms of the infrastructural needs. Uh, you know, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. What you're saying. I hear what you're saying, and I, I agree with you 110. Uh, and I know that you're working towards it, right? But we have to make certain that those communities that that we implement. I mean, that we do it. That we get that infrastructural change done for the better of the people that live there as well, right? Without pushing them out, and make certain that 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 uh, that that there is no. Uh, uh, fluff about it, 
right? Oh, like, right. And well, there's a there's a there's a premise: is if money's going to go where money can make money. I mean, right. There is there is nothing wrong with a, a, a an investor who's going to build, say, for example, a multifamily or or a whole bunch of homes oh, no, that, no. that has is in the business of building homes and selling them to people or renting them to people in order to make money. Right. I, that that happens, right? right. But without a certain uh, allocation or without a certain requirement that they build equitable communities. Right, right. Where where there's an opportunity for people to have multiple ways to get around. You know, when we build communities that require you carve out out of your annual income 10 to to $12,000 a year to support a car to be able to make your life work, when we have wages in Hillsborough County that don't, for a lot of our service economy, that don't have that kind of luxury, right. we're not building for sustainability. It's a big disservice. We're not building for economic ability. Right. We have to find a way to create zones where we're using tax money to invest in, say, for example, infrastructure and transit, but we're also requiring that a certain amount be set for all of our income levels. Right, right. All of our income levels, Absolutely. not just those at the top line, but Absolutely. also those that make a lower amount of money that our economy depend on. The NIMBY effect of people saying, I don't want that affordable housing thing in my neighborhood. Well, that affordable housing thing is housing our teachers. It's right. housing our law enforcement. It's housing the person that works in the, you know, the 7-Eleven down the street. Yeah. It's housing the people that help us make our lives work. No, no, and it houses people who are too. who are taking care of some of those people's kids. That's exactly right. Our daycare center workers, they they they're not making you know buku bucks. Oh, they're man. they're making a living or working two jobs in order to be able to make their lives work. Right. So we have to build sustainable economic models, and one of the ways we can do that is modifying our land code and modifying our, our comprehensive plans in the way we build communities. Absolutely. And that that's a challenge that I'm <laughs> having great difficulty getting done. And, well, but you got our back. that mindset takes time. We, 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 we got your back. We got your back on that. We definitely got your back. <laughs> Commissioner, thank you so much. Hang tight. Hang tight. We got calls. We got some calls, okay? Right. If you're watching right now on the Facebook page of the Walt Hills with the second Facebook page and the Sunday Forum Facebook page, please share, like, and get some other folks out there on this page. They need to listen to this show and participate in what's being said in the forum. Uh, yeah, call we also... 239-9663. Well, Billy, go ahead. We also have some emails. You can email us by emailing dj at wmnf.org. And we got one email from Karen Perrin, and she's talking about a big contradiction that happens in our society. She's saying that in Sarasota, Salvation Army is cutting services, and this is the second richest county, and it can't sustain services for food and showers. You know, this is quality of life, but it could raise money, millions, for big events, you know, so... That's another human rights issue, according to Karen Perrin. Thank you very it much for that. And uh, we have a lot more of you on the line. So give us a call, 813-239-9663, to join the conversation here on this Sunday Forum. Go ahead, caller. You're on the Sunday Forum. Uh, yes, good morning. Peace and blessings. Hey, Queen Mother, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for, you know, just keeping this issue of families of Silver Oaks and other communities on the front line because, uh, say, it's not even being seen as a, a, as a, a state of emergency. And when you have mothers coming in and can document and prove the health concerns and issues and the trauma that all these bad repairs are causing on their lives, and then the fallback from the city and others saying, well, it's not my problem because regulations tell us that we can't do anything about it to assist those families. And so what the commissioner, you know, and her work that she's doing is great, but the right now is what we're missing. So that's for example, uh, when HUD came in to Table Park Apartment and cited all of these bad qualities of living conditions, it was nothing comparable to what women are dealing with in Silver Oak. 
when you got the housing authority right now getting ready to demolish all of Robles Park, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the bad condition. It has everything to do with what the developers want and the land, development and land. And the developers do not have an appetite other, under than maybe 5% of building anything of good quality living for black families. That's the reality. That is the reality. So what I'm hoping that uh, officials would do is look at ways in which we could bring up accessory dwelling uh in our communities that would help families that have already homestead can build, you know, additional space, living space on their uh, land to help out family members. Because where we are going in this country, you know, sad to say, is all based on a capitalist model, what developers want, what sometimes city. Uh, officials see that's going to be the best thing for their tax dollars. And black mothers and black children that do not have political capital Mm, mm. lose all the time. Mm. We're losing. If this was a state of emergency, and I'm sorry, if those perhaps was families from a foreign country living in bad conditions like that, we wouldn't even offer that to them. So something has to be done. And I always say to the Democratic Party, and especially our city council, that should have a sworn duty and an obligation to do better by this population. Mm. Unfortunately, they have done nothing but paid a lot of lip service. So we're just continuing to keep advocating, knocking on doors, reaching out to HUD and others to see who's going to make this a priority. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, all of your work. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so much. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Miss Connie always hits it on the head, baby. Every uh-huh. time. Every time. Next call. Okay. You're tuned to the Sunday Forum and taking your telephone calls. Go ahead, caller. You're on the Sunday Forum. Yo, I wanted to ask your, uh, your, your guest, and I wanted to take you back to the time well, it, it, part of this issue deals with we need more transportation and those sorts of things. And yet there was an infrastructure uh, uh, bill or law that was actually passed that would have brought uh, mass transportation under Mr. Obama. It was high-speed rail to, from, and from... And Mr. Rick Bill Scott, his governor, said no. And, and all that was, there was a whole infrastructure behind it. You're right. Uh, yup. You, you must be reading my mind, Billy. Oh. You know, uh, you just think about what happened there. And now we're talking about, well, we need transportation. When we had this community, our area was undermined by a governor, the guy who came in and said no. And think of all the residual projects that would have came. This is a project that had been approved by Republicans and, and Democrats, bipartisan. And now we find ourselves 12 years later down the road talking about the very same thing, having to restart or not even having, seeing the residual effect of what happened to bad decisions uh, uh, that happened 12 years ago. And the worst part about it is, is that we failed to vote, and the very same guy who proposed, who did this disaster, that you see the effects of what has happened. We put him and elected him as a United States senator. Unbelievable. And now he wants to impose taxes on the very same people, <laughs> the very same people that he that he uh, that he deprived, and then called himself. Not a, a, a not a t- call us tax and spend liberals while he and while he uh, imposes uh, excruciating, unforgivable taxes on 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 people who can can ill afford it while his good friends walk around uh, uh, doing tax abatements and those sort of things. I yeah. want to ask 
you're, maybe I'll be going, you're, 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 you're uh, commissioner there about and the residual effects of what we see in terms of what bad policy they've done for us. Or well, maybe it was a good thing. I don't know how you commissioner. I just want to see okay. where we were in 12, we could have had this 12 years ago and this... talked about development and stuff. All right. The other thing I wanted to point out is you need to send me some pictures. One of the most effective ways that I have found to communicate about the disastrous in healthcare is I put videos and pictures up there, and let me get some pictures of that uh, and some interviews of the people in that uh, community that are being affected, and let me put that within the norms and see what happens. Maybe the world needs to see probably you know, when you're spending money talking about $33 million worth, billion dollars spending in Ukraine for for cruise missiles and armament and javelin missiles <laughs> and stuff. A cost of a javelin missile would very, would work very fine in terms of doing fixing the air condition in some of these units and stuff. And then I know that's right. <laughs> Good point. Asking, Good point, Billy. Hey, listen, we we got we let's let's give the commissioner. Oh, well, Billy, let, wait, 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 wait. Let's. Let's give the commissioner a chance to answer the question, okay? But you bring some very good points there. Very good points. Uh, commissioner? Joe, thank you for asking that question. This is where your vote seriously matters, okay? It <laughs> seriously matters. Um, and both on a national level, um, the issue associated with Senator Scott's decision not to invest locally in transportation back when the when the high-speed rail was coming through was a serious problem. Um right. And it wasn't local folks that were pushing back. It was actually those that are at the state and a very partisan level decided that rail wasn't something to invest in. That being said, your vote matters on the local basis because in 18, when we voted for transportation, a citizens had to bring the ballot, to the vote to the ballot. And unfortunately, I have a colleague that's currently on the board that's turned out this year who decided to sue, and and it ended up getting struck down by the, the Supreme Court. So we we voted for investing in our transportation. We voted for a well-rounded transportation plan. But unfortunately, it got struck down. So what is happening now is your current board of county commission is bringing to back a long-range transportation plan investment plan to invest in transportation that's going to be on the ballot in November. Because we, locally, we know the only way we're going to get out of this mess that we're in with a deficit of not investing in our transportation for the last, say, 10 to 20 years in a smart way, where we've allowed transit to actually be part of the core part rather than just roads and widening roads that require that you spend you know, ten to $20,000 of your annual money on a car to get around and take care of your family. We're bringing back uh, an opportunity to, to invest in our future mm-hmm. by having people be able to get around, by having people to be able to get to work, um, by using something other than an annual budget that requires ten to $12,000. The average local citizen that spends money throughout the year spends on average about $400 in sales tax. So while, yes, sales tax is a regressive tax, that $400 is a whole lot less than what you have to spend when you're having to own a car because that's the only way to make your life work in mm-hmm. Hillsborough County, the way our roads and our transportation yeah. are built. Mm-hmm. I'm a living and when witness. you have to spend that much, <laughs> you don't have that much available for rent. You don't have that much for a mortgage to be able to buy a home, right? So policy matters. And who is in that seat that is adopting that policy also matters. So I can't tell you how important it is to make sure everybody gets out there and votes and votes for our community. Absolutely. For resilient uh, policy. Votes for investing in um, mixed income communities that work and make sense, that allow us to not be afraid of that person over there because they're different than me. You know that that's important. That's really important. And when our 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 land policies actually create you know clustered communities with walls around them, 
that is not a good plan for helping people get along and work together as a community and help each other along the way. Absolutely. Not to mention that the corporations have been going around buying up single-family homes out of the... You know, reach of regular, ordinary, working class people, and then those homes right. just sit and fall apart in those communities. And so, what yeah. was accomplished there? You know, one of our emailers wrote, asked you, Commissioner, when you mentioned land code for equitable communities, they wanted an example. Um, here's a good example. What Miss Burton mentioned earlier is about being able to uh, build uh, accessory dwelling units or ADUs. In urban areas, infill is the way you actually t- maximize the, the opportunity for a, a homeowner to be able to not only build wealth, but also to build sustainable practices. When our land code doesn't permit you to have an auxiliary, uh, auxiliary or accessory unit in your backyard, if you have enough room, if it doesn't allow for a waiver of a setback to be able to have that get in there, you can't take care of your senior parent. Mm-hmm. That when you when you have to, you have no choice but to have them go to a senior living facility that's outside of the budget. When we have land code that uh, doesn't give an advantage to investing in multifamily along our transit corridors without a two-year delay in getting that done, and run the risk of having a community come out and say, "I don't want, I don't want that that affordable housing unit," you know, in my neighborhood. When it's right next to one. <laughs> or people who live in one will come out and say, I don't want another affordable housing unit next to me. But our land code matters. Right. And it, it allows uh, development in urban areas that need density, that can use density for providing ex, you know, housing is important. But also policies in land code that allow you know, one, one house per acre out in the middle of nowhere. Where we can't afford afford to provide the infrastructure. Um, It makes no sense either. And we've been doing that for 20 years. Exactly. Exactly. So it does, it really does matter. You can't expect urbanized services out in the middle of nowhere and not expect to have to pay for it. And unfortunately, Hillsborough, unincorporated Hillsborough County is in that space right now. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we got some more calls. Let's let's get to it. Yep. I just got a message. My mom is on one of these calls, one of these lines. Oh, okay. Let's let's go. Let's go, man. <laughs> Here we go. Go ahead, caller. You're on the Sunday forum. Hello. Yes. Hello. Walter. Mom. Hey, mom. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to you, mom. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank say, you. Say so hey to Kim, Commissioner Kim Oldman. Hi, Kim. Good thank morning. You. Happy thank Mother's you. Day. Thank you. And same. You, if you are a mother or your mother oh, yeah. in some way, I know. <laughs> well, mother and grandmother. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I'm here in Puerto Rico, which is the right. home of um, my grandson's mother and uh, her mother. And so I am enjoying their um, way of life here and um, enjoying. We were at the sunrise this morning at the ocean to greet greet the sunrise. And uh, yesterday and today, we will be ready for sunset. We're just celebrating everything. (laughs) Breeze. (laughs) The oxygen. All of it. It's beautiful. Well, happy Mother's Day to you, too. And I'm I'm so envious of that wonderful, beautiful setting uh, and being able to spend time with your... your, um, your daughter-in-law and your your grandchildren. That is such a gift on Mother's Day. Yes, my my daughter invited me and uh, my goddaughter down and my nephew, Corey. My goddaughter is Karima Timms-Harris and my nephew is Corey Brown. And um, so we flew from Miami to here and we have been going nonstop trying (laughs) to just capture every bit of history, every bit of geography, every, everything that there is to, to capture. But she has a lovely, lovely residence here on top of them. Uh, uh, I guess it's the mountains. And uh, overlooking the ocean and the, the pastures. And we see the dogs and the cats. And she <laughs> is uh, out in the garden. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this child is truly living. Let's join her. It's mm-hmm. a blessing. And my mother, 
uh, would have been so proud, and that brought tears to my eyes this morning. And I am just so happy to share all of that with you, Walter. And thank you so very much for the greeting. You got it, Mom. You got okay. it. Okay. Love you, Mom. Shout out to my to my grandmother, Mildred Williams. Yes. 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 I got very special, and uh, uh, I tell you, Walter, you have been a challenge. Felicia was a challenge. I'm like, <laughs> 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 I'm doing what I can to help out with baby Walter. So go ahead and finish, and I, we're going to continue to listen and enjoy the, the uh, program that you have this morning. So Thanks, Ma. We got mm-hmm. that call from Puerto Rico. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, Mom. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. That was my mom. Usually she's on the show on Mother's Day. I think we did it like three years in a row, I think. Mm-hmm. We, did mom, we did Mother's Day with Mom in the studio. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. We got another, got another call? Yep. Got another call. Let's go. Go ahead, caller. You're on the Sunday Forum on Mother's Day. Hello, good morning. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, yes. Hey, good morning, Marple. I uh, helped, uh, my name is Ed. I helped on your last uh, campaign. I was uh, hoping you'd win it, but you're, you're a great voice for the community. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. And I have a question for, for Commissioner Overman. I know the uh, the council has, uh, or the commission has been excellent in terms of uh, providing and uh, you know, supporting the HOPE Affordable Housing Act, but I also uh, heard your, your uh, discussion about the uh, changes in zoning and planning. I've seen some other communities take entire corridors that are along these transit um, corridors and just rezone them all at one time as um, available for multifamily housing. Uh, and that seems to be a much more efficient process than, you know, one lot at a time trying to get that rezoning. Is that something that might be, that might work in, in, uh, in the county as far as uh, the city or the county in terms of kind of rezoning entire corridors, like, you know, everything within a, a mile of Dale Mabry or Columbus or wherever, some or Florida, you know, whatever these, these big corridors, right? Is there any way of, of doing that kind of in, in one big action rather than one lot at a time? That is what I've been asking for since 2000, the end of 2018-19. Um, I am still waiting uh, for the transit-oriented development plan for Hillsborough County. Uh, the staff's been working on it, and I'm hoping to bring it forward in the next month or so. Um, it's, it got waylaid by a pandemic, unfortunately, and the staff um, focused on that which was in the ground rather than what we wanted to have. But we're getting there. Um, One of the things that the the legislature did pass recently was the ability for a county or or a municipality to zone areas to waive the process of comprehensive plan and zoning changes um, by the developer, but, but being done by the municipality or the government, in this case, the county. Um, and I am looking at that, waiting for this, this TOD plan. HART has one that's in the process of identifying a transit-oriented community up Florida Avenue, going across over and then up to across Fowler, um, that's been in the works for three years. But um, that is getting stalled a little bit because of the constraints on Florida Avenue and the fact that we've got to coordinate with FDOT along the way. But there are other corridors. And, for example, Bloomingdale is a perfect corridor for a transit-oriented development kind of zoning. But right now, every project that comes in there has got to go through that process that can take as much as a year and a half to two years to do, especially if there's neighbors that come out and say, I don't want any more development there because it's going to bring more traffic. And that's the other NIMBY thing we're seeing right now. Development that makes sense for a community are getting pushed back by communities that are struggling with dealing with the traffic and right. are pushing back. I don't, want, I don't want that there because it's going to create more traffic. That's a problem <laughs> that no. we can solve, but we can't do it without infrastructure dollars. And that's where that correlation matters. So I'm looking all through our growth plans trying to discern what areas are perfect areas for doing that? But part of that also depends on HART having a strategic plan. HART, as an organization, hasn't had a strategic plan from day one. They're in the works. It's one that's in the works because I asked for it when we were interviewing our new CEO to how to have a strategic plan for the agency 
Um, but when you have an agency that is so underfunded it can't function, uh, that's a problem. So we have to get committed to investing not only in um, diverse communities, diverse housing types, uh, urban density where transit can be effectively deployed, and having an agency that can actually invest in creating more rapid routes and potentially taking advantage of the risk the infrastructure that's, that actually founded this area. You know, the rail lines that, that were built by Henry B. Plant many years ago, um, many, many, many years ago, the embassy of Tampa being developed, is what drove economic development to the Tampa Bay region. And yet we've chosen not to invest regionally in passenger rail. Me and those that rail lines are still around. Road, but right now we just need buses. We need more routes. Yes, yes. You know, yes. 30 routes is not going to do it. And not knowing where those routes are makes it a very difficult to do um, wide swaths of zoning changes until we know where those are going. And th that's coming. They they promise to have a strategic plan. With electric buses. With yeah. electric buses. Exactly, with electric buses. And that's going to take shorter routes. Electric buses have a limited... Um, uh, limited... Uh, distance that they can travel before they need to be recharged. So they, they have some challenges, but technology is changing every day. It's right. getting better every day. Yeah. And that's going to open up doors for being able to help people get around and be able to invest in uh, economically and resilient communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, we got another call. Got another call. Thank you. I believe so. Um, Yo, go ahead, caller. You're on the Sunday Forum. Hello? Yes. Hello. Yeah, Walter, how you doing? This is Mike Rand. Hey, Mike, what's going on, man? It's good. It's Mike good. the Legendary. What's going on, baby? <laughs> no, you're the Legendary. <laughs> but let me, let me give some quick thoughts. Uh, first is that a solution to the current problem is a uh, strategy to put together a land trust strategy mm -hmm. that preserves uh, affordable housing, like for 99 years, to make sure it stays that way. The other way is a new unique tax credit to landlords that increases the rent, and they can then get a tax credit in order to help offset that rent, and the tenant remains in the building, and the landlord gets his money. And then next is a public-private relationship known as the Community Benefit Agreement. In West Tampa, that agreement resulted in the developer paying for a workforce center as well as a uh, fitness center in order to reduce the level of gentrification. And then finally, related to that unit with the mold and the rat, which is disgraceful, the only way you deal with people like that is to go directly at the board of directors, identify who they are, and then do a court of public opinion embarrass them at the corporate level. Unfortunately, if you go the legal way, they can hold you up all year long. So I suggest mm -hmm. go to the board of directors and make your voice heard. Well, just keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate you, man. Hey, man. You got it, Mike. Hey. You too, brother. Uh, 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 Commissioner? I'm really glad he brought that up. Give me some names. Process. Yeah. No, <laughs> give me some names. Well, I mean, I'll give you, give you just to what he was describing. You know, last year, um, we were dealing not with Silver Oaks, but we were dealing with Timber Falls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was so much pressure put on that, that that property got sold in December. Wow. And now it's under new ownership because they recognized that they could not, they the previous owners were not willing to actually address the challenges of unsafe housing mm -hmm. at that location. So, yes, coming out and, and raising cane over un, unhealthy living arrangements can make a difference. Absolutely. But what he also mentioned was, you know, buying land up and holding it in trust. In the week and a half, I think, or the next board meeting, the week after that, we will be establishing a community land trust for Hillsborough County to be able to take land that is, that is available, that we can buy land that's available for mixed income and um, uh, affordable housing to help lower the overall long-term cost and to make it permanent so that it will be for affordable housing uh, development. And it will provide for a requirement that in 
anyone in that it will require a certain amount of affordable housing units. We do have, unfortunately, a large number of units that were built in the uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, where that covenant that requires affordable housing being offered to tenants in that, in that property, um, you know, that, that affordable housing factor requirement ends up expiring. Fortunately, the tax credit program he also mentioned that now uses um, affordable housing, HFA money, to finance these deals. All of the deals that are for those tax credit deals that are now being approved are for perpetuity. So they will not lose that covenant. But that policy was not the case. And we are losing units every year to those that have expiring covenants. And so the policies that we are putting into place now is that when we dedicate a certain property for having a certain percentage of available to affordable housing residents, to those with 50%, 80%, or even 100%, that's what the HOPE money is for, is to make sure that we're investing those HOPE dollars, that $10 million every year that I got another million last year and the year before uh, towards helping with addressing our housing issue. Uh, that $10 million is limited to 100% of uh, average median income earners, those working people that are in our community that need a place to live. Right. So right. we are doing those things. The challenge is, the, the challenge is, is huge. It's big. And $10 million is not going to cut it alone. No, so not at all. the good news is we are putting a significant amount of money away. We've worked on every month this month, this year, we are cutting ribbons of new communities that are providing housing. For example, the one that is uh, that we just cut a ribbon on <clears throat> um, is going at uh, Mason Street Manor with a partnership with Habitat for Humanity. Um, we put in uh, home funds of almost 400000 there to construct eight energy-certified three-bedroom, two-bath semi-detached townhomes and then uh, this is in Brandon. Um, they we started construction in 2021. We hope that it'll open up uh, within a few days, and uh, because it was actually scheduled for April of 2022, and with um, energy, uh, with the, you know, deliver supplies and materials and the COVID, it actually got delayed a little bit. Um, but that actually, with with right uh, with investing in. <clears throat> the developer fees and the construction costs, we're able to get um, lots and lots of units, and those are for people at the 80% average median income. They'll be marketed and sold, so people can invest in their future. And with that, we also put in uh, additional dollars to renovate 435 homes so that people could stay in their house in partnership with Habitat for Humanity. And so, shout out to Jim McCarthy. Who's the chief operating Pardon. officer? He was there at the uh, seminar. Yeah, he just he just moved over to Habitat. Yeah, yeah. Great to hear that. I was so uh, happy to hear that. <clears throat> yeah, I'm really happy to hear that. But we just, I'm really can't wait till Mercy Oaks open. That is a community up on Florida Avenue. It's going to be awesome. That I was at the groundbreaking. Can't wait for the ribbon cutting. But it was scheduled to open um, in February of 2022. It may not open up until September because of the supply chain uh, problem. Right. But it is looking really good. They're beautiful, beautiful parks. They are. They I might are. be in the market. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, Commissioner, we want to thank you for joining us this morning here on the Sunday Forum. Uh, it's okay. always lovely to be with you. Uh, you know, uh, we we were hanging out big time during the uh, during the election seasons, and uh, and afterwards, man, you know, Kim Overman is a good friend. Kim, thank you so much. We appreciate you. you. I, I call and you I, Kim. I just, I just, <laughs> but that's all right. That's all right. And I, like I said, no, uh, elections are coming. And I, I need to keep this job because I haven't gotten done. Yeah, so okay. I'm looking forward to the support in November. So thank you so much. All right. Hey, listen, thank you so much, Kim Overman. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here on the Sunday Forum. We want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And we want to we go out with another Rick James <laughs> uh, a loving song called Mary Jane. As always, here on the Sunday Forum, from our voice to the radio waves to the hearts and the minds of the people, we love you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it here on the Sunday Forum. Happy Mother's Day. Post Martin Who Nanny is next here on WMNF Tampa.